Welcome to the Willow Ridge Sermons Podcast. This is where you can find audio from Sunday morning messages and more. Make sure you're subscribed so that you don't miss future episodes, and thanks for listening. Glad that you guys are here. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please join me and open them to Genesis chapter 15. That's where we will be. I want to encourage you next Sunday is our uh, adjustment, is the, is the shift that we are making in discipleship and in, in our scheduling. And so just really quickly, you're like, man, I'm tired of hearing this. It's gonna be the fastest it's ever been for this one, all right? Starting next Sunday from nine to 9.50 is when we'll have our discipleship time. That's for our kids all the way through all of our adults. You got relational discipleship opportunities and theological discipleship opportunities. We're gonna have wonderful studies like the one that you just heard from Robert. Robert's a good friend of mine since, uh, I want to think, I believe I met Robert in 2020, right? Um, and, and since then, I've been able to hear his story and also see how God is using some of the worst situations you can imagine to be in to grow Robert and his relationship and to use that and to leverage that, not only for Robert's growth in the Lord, but an opportunity to share the gospel with people, all right? And so we've got all types of studies that we provide. We'll have these back there. Uh, Aaron and I will be back at the connection table at, at the end of the service. We can help connect you with that. So discipleship from 9 to 9.50 happening in both buildings. From 9.50 to 10.15 will be our fellowship time. That's everybody. That's all the kids, all the teenagers, all the adults gathered in here together for one wonderful time of fellowship of coffee, juice, cake, snacks, all those things that we love. We'll get jacked up on some sugar and coffee, right? And then we'll get ready for worship, right? And at 1015, we'll have our kids. We'll be worshiping over there in in building two for the most part. And and we will be gathered in here together as teenagers and adults worshiping uh, our our Lord and Savior. And so we're excited. If you you show up next week and you're, you're, you're a little unsure of what to do, you're a little unsure of what to go, we'll be all over the place making sure that you're going where you need to go to do what you need to do. The one thing that we do want to press in is please, please, please make sure that you get registered for one of the studies. Here's what's happening. We have, uh, we don't have tons of large spaces for a lot of our studies to gather, okay? And we've got some studies that are reaching their capacity and they can't take more uh, people than, 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 than we've got set for them. So if you're like, oh, I'll just show up or I'll just kind of get connected at, at a later time, we want to encourage you to go ahead and do that. Now, if you show up next Sunday and you have not registered, all right? You're just going to get stuck with me. So you've got two hours of me next Sunday then, all right? And you might not want that. That might not be what you feel like the Lord has for you, all right? Um, and, and that's okay, but, but please go ahead and get registered and love to have you uh, do that. I, I've been using this phrase lately, uh, and, and I want to put it back up on the screen. And it says, walking together as we each take a next bold step with Jesus. When, when I started going through in my mind what this looked like for us to do as a church and, and to take uh, our discipleship strategy that we had in relational discipleship and, and make it more of a process uh, that we will have together when we see missional discipleship, uh, where that is a believer to unbeliever discipleship, where we see relational discipleship, so that's peer-to-peer uh, discipleship, but the, in, in theological discipleship, that is teacher-to-student discipleship. When, when I began to look at how we could build all of those different strategies into one process for us, uh, the, the, the challenge that I felt like the Lord gave me for myself and that the Lord gave us uh, as a church was this, walking together 
together as we each take a bold next step with Jesus and, and, and really prayerfully considering all of these words because I love that this statement embraces some important aspects for us when it comes to discipleship. In, in this statement, what we see is, is community, right? That's, that's what we are. We are a community. We are a body of believers walking together as we. So, so the picture that we get is that you and I, as, as this unique body of believers that is Willow Ridge Church, like we think of the big universal church that we're, that we're all a part of, but then what makes the, the universal church so, so special is that there's these unique, like individual bodies called the local churches and we get to be a part of this one that we chose to be a part of and so that we're walking together as we we're not wanting to leave anyone behind we're not asking you to do anything that we're not doing right no 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 this this isn't you go do this this is come join us as we do this together but that within there there's still personal accountability that walking together as we each individually. So here's what I love about that. There's personal accountability, meaning I don't blame anyone else for what I disobey with, right? As we each, but it also is personal accountability for me to take the step that I feel like God's leading me to take. I don't take the step that God's leading you to take and you don't take the step that you feel like God is leading me to take. That I take the step that I feel like God is calling me to take. But it's not just a step because it's trusting faith. A bold next step. What does that mean? What does that look like? The whole call, we're gonna see this here in just a moment, is, is God takes us through things that oftentimes are not easy. And we have to be willing to trust him to not just say, I have faith in who he is, which is an intellectual faith, which is good, but I have an action faith of saying, this is what I believe and what I'm going to believe, I'm going to step toward. And so I'm gonna to step toward him as we keep our focus. It's not walking together as we each take a bold next step. It's not walking together as we each take a bold next step with one another. It's walking together as we each take a bold next step with Jesus. Because we're not the focus, we're not the standard. We're all in submission to him. So what I want us to, to get to, and it's just beautiful how God works this out where we're gonna land in Genesis 15 today, is that we can take something like a process and we can attach a mindset to it and say that I intellectually agree that this is good and yet not attach it to our life. About 12 years ago, I had to see a cardiologist and I went and sat down with a cardiologist who critiques me on my love for McDonald's. Fair, fair. And he started to smile because I guess the look on my face was like, hold up buddy. Because he's bigger than me. 
right? And he said to me, and I, I love this, and now he'll forever be my doctor. He said, I'm not saying that I do the right thing, but I am saying you need to do the right thing. You see, he knew the process, but he wasn't willing to buy into it. And I find that oftentimes that's where we find ourselves when it comes to obedience to the Lord. We know the process, but we look at what's out there. And before we even take a step, we make the decision that this isn't going to be easy. And in fact, it may be painful. And so I'm just good with the status quo. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, anyone, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus doesn't say if leaders would come after me. Jesus says if anyone. Jesus is honest. The call to discipleship is not a call that is light and it's not a response that's made lightly. We have to come with the, the understanding and come to grips with the fact that discipleship is a difficult calling that requires men and women to boldly and faithfully make decisions in the midst of uncertainty and fear. If I do this, then. If I commit to this, then. And in that, what we see is pain. In this, what we feel is fear. And so we make the decision that the pain and the fear is not worth it. And what I would plead with you, what Robert would plead with you, what scripture pleads with you is this. No, 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 no. The pain and the fear is minimal compared to the glory of what we understand in who Christ is. In every moment of suffering, every moment of pain is worth it. Is worth it. And I say that as someone who's walked through it, is walking through it, and who knows that I will walk through it again. And this morning, this is where we find Abram in Genesis 15. He's afraid. He's afraid. So look at me, chapter 15, verse 1. I'm going to read and talk a little through these first six verses. After these things, let's pause, all right? What things? What things? It's been five weeks since we've talked about these things. What things? Well, immediately what we have seen, what we talked about last time we were in Genesis, in Genesis 14, Abram has rescued Lot. And he's rejected the offer from the pagan king. The offer to be wealthy, the offer to be powerful, the offer to be a king himself. Abram rejects it and instead affirmed his trust in the Lord. 
So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, and this is what I want us to look at, so God's already said, fear not. Why would God say that? Because Abram's afraid. And now we begin to see why he is afraid. Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. His lead servant is who he's talking about. That's his heir. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And so what Abram is saying to God in this is I've trusted you to do what you say you're going to do. Abram is around 90 years old. He's without a child. And he's beginning to think those years have passed. And he's concerned. And he's afraid. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Which is what God's been saying. Verse 5. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you were able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he, being Abram, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So Abram's afraid, and what we see comes out of his fear is faith. I was reading a guy this week, and he talked about how you and I respond when we're afraid. And I know you've heard the theory, fight or flight, correct? Like, you've heard that before. And, and this, this author talked about this. He said, I think fight or flight is incomplete, he said, I think it's incomplete when we, when we talk psychology, but I also think it's incomplete when we talk about Christianity. He said, because the truth is, you're gonna make as a believer one of four decisions when it comes to your fear, specifically in spiritual matters. Not just fight or flight. He said, the first one that you'll choose is you may choose to freeze. Freeze. And he defined this right? As when depression begins to take over. The situation occurs. I don't know what to do. And so I do nothing. And if you've experienced depression before that come from these seasons of your life, you understand this feeling very, very well. I just want to pull the blanket over my head and hide. I just want to go away and never be heard from again. I just want to freeze. And in these moments, what happens within that, of I'm just going to stay right where I'm at, these pockets and moments of depression begin to overwhelm us and it's hard to get going. I say that having gone through that and experienced that myself. 
days and weeks and months and seasons of life where the fears of this world, where the fear of the situation begins to consume and I just want to freeze. The second one, other than freeze, is fight. Fight. And a lot of us like to choose when the options are fight or flight, we like to choose fight. And here's what I want to caution against fight. It is this, especially when we deal with the spiritual world and the things that we face. In fight, we can decide that I am big enough, I am capable enough, I am strong enough, I am dependent enough that I can get me through this, that I need no one other than myself to get me through the situation that I found myself in. And while that may be great American theology, it's terrible, terrible Christian theology. Because in that moment of fight, Who am I dependent on? Who is my savior? Me. Me. So we can freeze, we can fight, or we can flight. We can run. We can remove ourselves. We can cut off all of our relationships. We can quit the season of where we're at. And we enter into this wonderful stage that we think of, of denial. It's not there, it's not real. I don't have to respond to this. This isn't gonna control me. I can just think positively all the time. I don't have to deal with the fact that this is what is happening, of this is what's going on, of how this is destroying my life. And in our flight, as we run, we deny. And I would argue that to freeze, to fight, and to flight does not bring out positivity, does not bring out healthiness, does not produce in us what God wants to do. And instead, it is this, it's faith. It's faith. Now you're like, I knew that's what you would say, man. There's all of these Fs. And we knew because you're a preacher, you'd end on faith, right? Let Let me explain what I mean by faith. Because faith isn't freezing in the moment. Faith isn't depending on yourself, and faith isn't denying that the situation isn't real. Faith isn't the absence of trouble, but instead, it's the confidence of the presence of the Lord in the midst of the struggle. Abram is afraid, so God says, fear not, and then God says, I'm two things for you, Abram. I'm two things. He says, I'm your shield. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. We all know how a shield works, right? If you're in a battle and you've got a shield and you're going through the battle, you're going into the battle, can I tell you that shield does you no good by your side? Can I tell you that shield does no good behind your back? Can I tell you that shield does no good on the sideline, but you fully understand how that shield works. 
The shield works the best when the shield is out in front and you're behind. And so God says, it's not that you're gonna get through this. It's not that you're gonna ignore that this is happening. It's not that you're gonna stop. But man, I'm here and I'm not just going through this with you and I holding hands side by side. I'm there, I'm in front, I'm your protection. God says, Abram, I got you. Fear not. And then he says, your reward shall be very great. God's already told him that. What's God saying? Abram, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I know that you live in a world of unfaithfulness. I know you live in a world where people promise big and underproduce. But Abram, that's not me. That's not me. Your reward shall be great. I am faithful. And Abram, though, is afraid, and he asks questions. Now, we live in a mindset oftentimes that asking questions shows that we're weak. So Abram asking questions must show that he is weak and faithless, right? The fact that Abram in that moment didn't go, come on, man, what are you thinking? Why would you do this? put on the Rocky soundtrack to get himself hyped up and run out of the tent ready to go, right? Why would, this is a knock on Abram, right? That he asked God questions. All right, so let's go, th- Matthew 26, 38 through 39, will be on the screen. This is Jesus in the garden before he's arrested. Jesus is our ultimate model, right? Jesus said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Jesus says, I'm afraid. I'm scared. I know what awaits me. And I'm not looking for it. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus comes and says, there's this death, there's this beating, there's this punishment, Jesus is preparing himself to feel the full wrath of God for your sins and for mine. And he's like, Lord, if there's any, Father, if there's any other way. But he showed his faith, not as I will, but as you will. You see, Jesus had questions. Luke's account shares that Jesus suffered from hemiotidrosis, all right? Hemiotidrosis is a condition when a person experiences a high level of stress, which causes the blood vessels that feed the sweat glands to rupture, causing them to exude blood and under the condition of extreme physical or emotional stress. And in Luke's account, he says that Jesus began to sweat drops of blood. Now I wanna tell you, I've been in some situations. I've experienced some stress. I've never experienced that. But this is what Jesus went through. 
Is Jesus afraid? You bet he was. Was Jesus scared? Absolutely. Jesus didn't freeze. He didn't fight. He didn't go into flight mode. Jesus faithfully obeyed. Abram's question does not reveal a heart of disobedience, but reveals a heart of concern. And with Abram's concern, God answers. One of the greatest responsibilities that I think that I have as a parent is this. When Emma and Grayson are walking through a situation, a situation they've never been in before, a situation that is beginning to create in them stress, that is beginning to create in them anxiety, that is beginning to create in them fear, I think my greatest resource for them as a parent is not to look at them and say, toughen up and get over it but is to say, let me share with you, let your mom share with you how we've walked through that and come out on the other side of that. And I know right now you can't see the other side, but I promise that it's there. And here's what God wants to do in that, because this is what God has done in my life. You see, in their limited 15 years of life experience, they feel the situation that they're in, and they can't see the other side of it. And what we want them to know is that God is faithful. And that's what God does with Abram. And it's a beautiful picture of God as our loving Father. Look back at verse four and five. It says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And like, I can just see God doing this. So give me, give me some, it's the feeling of taking him by the hand. Verse five says, and he brought him outside. He brought him outside and not in a way to rebuke him, and not in a way to chastise him. And he says, look, look toward heaven. Look toward heaven and count the stars, Abram. Can you do that? Can, can, can you do that? If you were able to number them, he says. And then he says, so too shall be your offspring. Just, Abram, come on outside with me, buddy. I love you. And man, I know that you think that your life is destined to be something different than what I've promised, but it's not. It's not. Abram, buddy, here, here's my plan. You see, this plan reveals my heart for the nations, and this plan reveals my heart for you and I love you. Look at the stars, Abram. Look at them. <laughs> and Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. He's like, yeah, dad. Yeah. This is faith through fear. This is faith through fear. Faith through fear doesn't mean what is happening around you isn't real. Faith through fear doesn't mean what you feel isn't valid or unimportant to God. 
Faith through fear doesn't mean that your current reality will change soon or even change at all on this earth. Faith through fear is that I trust my shield, my God, and I know my reward is set, and that cannot, it cannot be taken from me. And this is what we see. But Abram's not done, and neither is the Lord. And, and really quickly, we'll take Lord's Supper here at the, at the end of our service. I want to get to that. Really quickly, what God does in these next verses is what we see is God's covenant promise and prophecy for Abram. Look at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He takes him all the way back to the establishment of his very first covenant that he made with Abram. But he said, this is Abram, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So Abram before asked for confirmation of his lineage that God had promised. And now Abram comes back to God and says, can you affirm for me the land that you promised? Because a people need a place. So God responds, verse 9, and he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these cut them in half and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And you're probably thinking that just got weird, right? All right, so let's explain what's going on. Abram knew exactly what he was to do with these animals. According to the customs of the time, what Abram's preparing to do is sign a contract, right? Next time you close on a house, just think it could be more difficult than that, all right? There's no credit score involved in this one though, all right? And God told him to get ready for this, for this signing. So uh, in those days, contracts were made by the sacrificing and the cutting of animals, right? And they would split the carcasses of the animals, they would lie them on the ground, and this covenant, this commitment was made between the parties as they walked through the, the, the parts of the animals repeating the agreement that they had just come to. So Abram gets all of this ready, thinking, all right, here's what me and God are going to do. We're going to walk through these together, and we're going to say, I get a son, I get a people, I get a place. Like, he's ready. Me and God walking through dead animals. Here we go. This is what he's waiting for. And the symbolism of this is supposed to be pretty big. If you're entering into a covenant in this, it's first, it's sealed with blood, but also you're acknowledging if you break the covenant, what happens, this bloodshed will be poured out on me. So if I break this, this is what could happen to me. And so Abram has his doubts. God says to him, let's sign a contract and settle it. Let's go. Verse 12. 
As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, uh, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they will serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So as the sun was going down, here's what's happening here. Uh, Abram uh, would have to wait for God so they could walk through this together and God had not yet appeared to kind of seal this so they could do this. And instead what God does is he causes a dark sleep, a deep sleep. Abram's knocked out. He's snoring. No one's going to wake him up, right? And then God gives him a dream. And specifically in this dream, we don't have time for all of the details, but God basically tells Abram of all of the slavery and hardship that Israel would endure in Egypt. But that the land that was given to Abram and the, his covenant descendants, there'd be a long period where they lived outside of the land in affliction, but yet they would return to the land with great possessions. All right, verse 17, this is where it gets good. Not that it wasn't good before. Sorry. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The land of the Canaanites, the Kezizites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So here's what happens. As Abraham was either asleep or possibly still groggy from the sleep, he saw God do something. Abraham's there and he's ready to walk through the animal parts with God signing the contract. But instead, God leaves him on the side and God goes through the parts as a smoking oven and a burning torch. God passes through those pieces. The, the smoking oven, the smoking pot would, would be used as an illustration of smoke or a cloud that we'll see over and over again in the Old Testament representing God. We'll see the burning t- torch would remind us of the fires and remind us of the presence of God. But, but here's what we, what we see in, in this. God says to Abram, you and I aren't going to make this together. I'm going to make this. You see, I'm going to walk through the covenant. You see, Abram never signed the covenant. Abram never entered into the contract with God. And instead, he watched God sign it for the both of them. You see, if, if me and Berger enter into a contract, that contract is based on my character and integrity, and it's based on Berger's character and integrity. 
And, and God says to Abram, I don't, I don't need to enter into anything that is based off of your character and integrity. I'm going to walk in through this based off of who I am. And this is what I'm going to do. And so the certainty of the covenant with Abram is based on who God is, not on who Abram is or what Abram would do, always based on what God can do. God alone signed the covenant. Abram didn't haggle with God over the terms. God established the covenant, and Abram accepted the covenant. Abram could not break the contract that he never signed. And as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, in a sense, what we see is the foretelling of the cross. As God the Father walked through the broken, bloody body of Jesus, his son. We didn't walk through that. God did. To establish a covenant for us. And God signed it for both of us. And so how do we enter into this covenant? How do we get to be a part? What did verse 6 say? Abram believed he had faith and it was counted as righteousness. And that too is how we enter faith. In just a moment, we're going to prepare to take the Lord's Supper. The band's going to come up on stage, play one last song for us, and it gives you and I the opportunity to pause. Pause for just a moment and reflect on the work that was done for us. We can reflect on the bread, the body of Christ, which was given and which took on the punishment that you and I deserve. We'll take the cup that was spilled, the cup that represents the blood of Christ, the new covenant to which we are brought into the family, to which our sins are forgiven. Not what you've done, not what I've done, but because of what we've done, Jesus Christ's blood in his alone washes us and makes us clean. As we prepare for this, I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whether this is your church home or not, we want to invite you to be a part of this with us. We ask you, all of us who are followers of Christ, through the dependence on the Holy Spirit to evaluate our hearts for the readiness to take part of this today. To check your heart of any unrepentant sin that you may have and repent. To check your heart of any relationships where you've sinned against others and you need to seek their forgiveness or where you need to seek to forgive them and ask that you do that as you prepare to take this together. If you haven't already gotten a cup in just a moment, the band will lead us in a song. The elements are at the back. You can feel free to go back during that time, and then I'll come back on stage, and we'll take this together. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for today. Lord, I thank you for this word that you've brought us in Genesis chapter 15.
Lord, I thank you for the beauty of what we see. It's not in our work. It's not in our power. It's not in our deeds. Lord, it's the belief in who you are. God, I thank you that you are our shield. I thank you that you are our reward. I thank you that you did the work of the covenant. And Lord, that you invite us into that relationship. And what saves us is not our works. What saves us is not our ability to believe, but it is the gracious, kind, mercy work of the Lord. We can put our faith and our hope and our trust in Him. God, I pray if there's anyone here who's not a follower of Jesus, or that today would be the day, or that they could admit that they're a sinner, or that they would believe that Jesus Christ is who He is, is who the Bible says He is, and they would confess Him as Lord and Savior, putting their faith, their hope, and their trust in Him. Listen, Jesus, let me pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening, and be sure to check back next week for another episode. In the meantime, you can visit us at willowridgechurch.org or by searching for Willow Ridge Church on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.